following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. You know, we all get Christmas cards, give out Christmas cards. There's a lot of different ones, but there's some Christmas cards that have an ongoing theme. Uh, And my favorite one, my favorite Christmas card is the one that announces Isaiah 9-6. Many of you guys know this scripture. You've got a Christmas card with this scripture on there, Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. That is so amazing. That's Old Testament scripture saying that this son that's going to be born, this Messiah figure... When he's born, he's going to have some pretty big roles and pretty big titles, including Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And I want to focus today on the Prince of Peace. Many of you got Christmas cards that said peace and joy, you know, peace unto good men and tear, you know, unto good, goodwill unto men, the, the peace component of God. I want to talk about the peace um, because Jesus, in fact, is the Prince of Peace. And All of us in this room have a different story of uh, maybe how you came to uh, fall in love with Jesus or how you let him love you back. Uh, Maybe you were raised in faith, but you still at some point had to come to terms with who this Jesus of Nazareth really is. You had to come to terms at some point, who is he really? I see his claims. I see what it says. I know what other people do, but who is he? And that matters monumentally because determining who he is, he is God's son in flesh. We know that. But when I was being raised and as I was moving along in life, I I didn't have a relationship with God. I really didn't. I had a lot of things in my life. I had a lot of possessions. I had a lot of stuff. But there was a, a missing piece of my life. If my life was like a pie, there was a big missing piece in my life. And from the outside, it might not have looked at like it, but I knew on the inside there's a missing slice, there's a missing piece of this pie, and I determined what the missing piece was. The missing piece was peace, P-E-A-C-E, it was peace. That's what was missing. And no matter what I did or no matter how I tried, this was still missing. And what I ended up realizing, I ended up getting invited to a Christian church, much like this, non-denominational, teaching the Bible, And I began to see something in people's lives. I began to see the peace of God in people's lives. The peace of God. And I'm thinking, how did they get that peace inside of them? I want to know, because I want what they're having. Whatever they have, they have something I don't have. I have a missing piece, and they have a peace. And I come to discover that Jesus is, in fact, the Prince of Peace. And that was my testimony. People come to Jesus for different reasons. Some come for healing, some come because of his knowledge, because of the love that they see. Ultimately, it brings you to the place of the cross where you have to come to terms with what he did for you and what he paid personally for you. But people on their way to the cross come for different reasons. And my direction towards the cross was the peace. And I realized Jesus is, in fact, uh, the Prince of Peace. Since he's the Prince of Peace, and hopefully today we're in Christ, I want to talk to you about that peace today and how you and I can be a a peacekeeper, a peacekeeper. Um, You know, our country and the UN, they send troops around the world to places to be a peacekeeper, 
to keep things settled down to where there's no, nothing blowing up and no wars and no fights and no battles going on. They try to settle it down and keep the peace. But sometimes the wars are on the outside and sometimes the wars are on the inside. Sometimes the storms are on the outside. Sometimes the storms are on the inside. Jesus came as the Prince of Peace to calm the storms on the inside and he does it in such an amazing way. And what I want to be able to talk about today is not only where the peace comes from, but how it sometimes gets robbed. Anybody ever had their peace robbed from them? Okay, okay. how it gets robbed, that's important. And then how you and I maintain it. What do you and I do to maintain the peace? Because if we're going to be peacekeepers, we got to come to terms with these. And it all got started because of Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Um, so anyway, um, it, you want to look in your Bible, John 14. Um, I'm going to fly through three sections of Scripture and it's kind of like this, you know, Christmas time, you guys ate a lot of food, I, I trust that you guys probably ate uh, more food than most meals out of the year. Uh, today, we're going to take some big bites out of scripture, but I, I just want to quickly summarize each one because uh, it's going to present these dynamics of God's peace, how we get his peace inside of us, how the devil tries to snatch it away and how it gets robbed and also how you and I maintain it and what we do to maintain it. Um, now, in the narrative of Scripture, God comes up in one of his very first names. The names of God in the Bible uh, describe his nature uh, profoundly. And one of the names for God in the book of Judges is Jehovah Shalom, uh, the Lord, your God of peace. And so one of God's very titles of his name, of his personhood, of who he is and what he wants to do is to bring peace. He ultimately did that through Jesus, his son, the the, the Prince of Peace, but, but God's name in general is, is Jehovah Shalom in Judges 6.24. It tells you a little bit of his nature. And then another radical dynamic, we see the Holy Spirit uh, offers things that you and I can't create on our own, and it's called the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And one of the main fruits of the Holy Spirit is peace, is peace. So God's name is Jehovah Shalom. The fruit of the Spirit is peace, and Jesus is the Prince of Peace, God wants peace in your life. God wants peace in your life. Uh, in fact, he's really big on it. And when you read the scriptures, do you know the first thing that Jesus said to people after he rose from the dead? First thing, peace. Peace be with you, peace. And if you look at the narrative of scripture again and again, he'd go to towns and places and he's like, why is your heart troubled? Why do you have a heavy heart? Be of good cheer, peace be with you, peace be with you. Everywhere he'd go, it was a big part of his message. A big part of the good news of Jesus Christ is God's peace be with you. And some people get in on that along the way and other people don't. But I want to suggest to you that the Prince of Peace and Jehovah Shalom want to see the fruit of the Spirit, this fruit of peace in our life in an overwhelming way. And so um, this is how we get John, uh, God's peace. In John 14, 23, I just want to briefly summarize this, but it's a really cool passage and Jesus explains it amazingly. Uh, Verse 23, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And then he says this profound statement in verse 27. Peace, I leave you. My peace, I 
give you, I do not give it as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus says, I give peace. I give peace. And I found that to be true. That's my testimony. I met the Prince of Peace. He is alive and well and proactive in the lives of people because he revealed his love and his peace to me in such a tangible way that changed my life. The Prince of Peace says to us today, I give peace. It's what I do. It's what I was made to do, what I love to do. I give peace. He says, my peace I leave you, my peace I give you. And he also says, it's not like the world gives. That means that the world tries to offer some sort of peace in our life, like take a vacation or you deserve a break or if you had this car, you, all your troubles would be gone and you'll be all happy driving with the top down. And the world has all kinds of things to suggest to you that if you just do these things, you will have peace. Jesus says, no, I, the peace I give you is not like the world gives. The, world, the, world, the world's offering of peace is just temporal, it's temporary and it's fleeting and it's going away. The peace that the world suggests to us are things that that, that kind of help us momentarily. And Jesus is saying, no, I do a work on the inside. Uh, the Prince of Peace does a work on the inside that will transcend any environment that you're in. And that's why he, he calms storms. In fact, in Scripture, he does it as well. But he calms them on the inside. And so in this passage, he's talking about, if you obey me, if you obey my teaching, here's the context. Me and the Father, we're going we're to come live with you. We're going to move into your house. We're going to move into your heart. Me and the Father. If you obey my teaching. If you don't, he said you're not going to get this. But if you obey my teaching, me and the Father, we're moving in to your house. We're coming to your world. We're coming into your heart. And in this context, he says you and the Spirit is going to come. When I go back to the Father, Spirit is going to come. The Spirit of God will live in you. And he says, I'm leaving you peace. I'm giving you peace, not like the world does. I just want to share, if you're a note taker, that Jesus equates his peace, his peace with our obedience. In this passage, his peace and our obedience go hand in hand. We can't have his peace and just run off and doing all our own stuff without checking in with God. But if we're choosing to walk in obedience, it's a first step of discipleship is walking in obedience to God, that's where the peace comes from. It's so, so important. Um, He equates his peace with our obedience. And if you're lacking peace, and maybe some of you in this room are are struggling in this area of peace, my prayer is you go into your new year with a whole new level of peace and understanding of how Jesus says, I'm the Prince of Peace and I really want to give it to you. I want to give you peace. You know, it's the heart of God for you to have peace, to be overwhelmed with his peace. That's not fabricated that is scripture that's his heart and that's why he keeps saying my peace i give you peace be with you shalom he says it again and again but he does equate his peace with our obedience and we can't really separate the two that's why uh in philippians 4 9 paul wrote whenever you uh, whatever you have learned and received or heard from me or seen in me put into practice and then the peace of god will be with you He's like, if you practice this stuff, if you practice what God's saying, God's peace will be with you. This is a a, a theme in scripture, our obedience and and, and God's peace. If we practice God's ways, God's peace will be with you. And then the next section I want to talk about is how this peace gets robbed. Um, Bible says that the enemy, the devil, goes around like a roaring lion seeking to devour who he may. And he uses a lot of different methods and ways, uh, but oftentimes he, 
he tries to, uh, when Jesus gives the parable of the seeds, where the seeds are scattered, the, the de- he, Jesus says that the devil tries to come and snatch away seeds. Uh, a promise of God, uh, a principle of God's kingdom, something that God is giving his people, seeds that were taken in our heart. The devil wants to try to snatch things away. And he's historically done this through fear and doubt. Fear and doubt uh, and worry. Uh, they're huge ways that the devil uh, tends to steal things or rob what he can. You look at Adam and Eve in the garden. Did God really say doubt? Fear, well, you know, you could be like, you know, maybe you'll be like God and maybe you should. And there's this doubt going on. And all of a sudden, the seed that she had is snatched away and she's doubting the very promises of God and walking down a completely different path, as does Adam. And so the fear, the doubt, and the worry, I would say worry is a good summary Worry is the thing that will take your fear, uh, take your peace more than anything. Uh, worry will just move the peace out of your life. If you let worry reign in your life, and some people tend to worry more than others, but I think truth be told, there are all things we go through where we start to worry. We start worrying about a lot of things. It could be health, family, it could be finances, a lot of different situations that are beyond our control. We start to worry, and these worries can start to be all-consuming. And so uh, it's been said that worry is like a rocking chair. (laughs) It'll keep you occupied, but it won't actually get you anywhere. Um, Worry pulls tomorrow's cloud over today's sunshine, Chuck Swindoll said. Uh, Also, worry is faith in the negative and belief in defeat. Faith in the negative and belief in the defeat. Worry is wasting today's time to clutter up tomorrow's opportunities. Uh, And worry often gives a small thing a big shadow. And I believe that is the case. Uh, Oftentimes, the things we worry about never even come to pass, most times. And so a small thing had a big shadow and clouded our whole future. And it robbed us from walking in peace and robbed us of walking in joy and robbed us from walking in faith because we worried. And so the devil is notorious at doing this. And um, there's a bit of a summary here in, in Matthew um, and so if you guys can, can look at this one too, it's Matthew uh, 6, 25. And um, Jesus really defines this worry thing. He, he defines how it pops up, how it shows itself, how it uh, overcomes us, how it encroaches on our peace. And, and he gives us a solution as well. This is an amazing passage on worry. Um, in verse 25, many of you are familiar with this. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. Do they not sow or reap or store away in barns? And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. You might want to underline that in your Bible. Do not labor or spin. Um, Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. Uh, If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. Um, There's many potential things to worry about. It seems to be natural in life, but it's as sons and daughters of God, 
following the Prince of Peace, we really ought to be walking in the provisions of God, including the peace of Jesus Christ. And what happens is these things, worries of the world, start to cloud us. And what you and I do with these clouds is monumental. It will determine whether we walk in peace or we walk in worry. It is a choice. And Jesus breaks them down right here. He mentions a few of these things that people worry about. He talks about life and possessions and health. These are things that can cast such a shadow on people that they are under this, uh, under this pressure of, of these worries and concerns and fears that they start to rule all decisions and, and what we do in life. It really hinders our walk. Um, worry about what we eat or drink. Um, he's talking about appetites. Appetites. Sometimes we have appetites that can uh, lead us in life. Instead of God leading us or his spirit leading us, our appetites can, can, can lead us. And, and he's saying that kind of lifestyle will not be a life of peace. There won't be a lifestyle of peace if we're driven by appetite. If you have an issue with appetite, and I'm not just talking about food, I'm talking about appetite for things. Wow, I want it. Ooh, I want that. Ooh, I want that. If you happen to be the kind of person that sees stuff and goes, wow, I really want to get that, you really need to read Ecclesiastes in the Bible because Solomon had more than any of us in this room, all of us put together, and he lived half of his life going, ooh, I want that. Ooh, I want that. And guess what? He got it all. He got everything. He got every, anything you could buy, anything you could imagine, anything you can build. He had it. And at the end of his life, and he says, wow, that was really a waste of time. He said, the more my desire grew, the more my increase grew, I realized my desire grew right along with it. And so even though my increase grew, my desire kept growing with it. And so the problem never went away. Rockefeller and people like that would tell you the same thing. They asked Rockefeller, hey, just how much is enough? Multimillionaire, just a little bit more, just a little bit more. And it never goes away. The problem doesn't go away. And at the end of his life, he said, what was I doing? It was like chasing after the wind. He lived his whole life trying to find a fulfillment which cannot be found unless it's found in God, in the Prince of Peace. He says this at the end of his life. He drew drew a brilliant conclusion on this. But appetites, appetites will weigh us down, um, not letting our appetite rule, rule us. And even with food, and I will say this, we live in a culture where there's been a lot of news about food and what's in food and what's in the water. It's a valid concern. It's a valid concern. Be wise as serpents, gentle as doves, read the labels, check into it, but don't be phobic about food. Does that make sense? Don't be phobic about it. Phobic is a fear. And if we're driven by, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my, that's living under the fear and the worry and not walking in the peace. So be wise and be prayerful and discerning, but not phobic about it. So that would even apply to us today as we live in a culture that's trying to eat um, healthier. Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah for that. Um, he talks about worrying about clothes. Now, clothes is symbolic of what we surround ourselves with. Uh, what we surround ourselves with. The clothes in this passage is kind of symbolic of, of image, how we need to look or how others think of us. So we present ourselves in a way that others will see us in a certain way. Some people are very driven by that. Like, I hope people think this of me, or I hope people think this way of me, so maybe I can present this kind of an image. And, and, and the Bible is saying, guys, there's, that's a worry in life that you don't need. See, we need to uh, live, our, uh, live our lives to the audience of one, amen? We live our lives to the audience of one. Sometimes we care too much what the wrong people think. 
in, in the big scope of God's kingdom in eternity, it's not going to matter, and yet it can rule our lives here on the planet if this, what we are clothed with or what we surround ourselves with or our image of how we're seen, if that's driving us or ruling us in any way, we're going to live under that worry, under that burden. And Jesus is saying there's no future in that. There's no joy in that. There's no joy in that. And then he also talks about storing up, which is interesting, storing up. Some people are driven by, um, you know, like that, that little, that saying, I'm just a squirrel looking for a nut. You ever see a squirrel looking for a nut? They're in a frenzy. They're just like, no peace in there. They're just like, I got to find a nut. I got to find a nut. And they're looking all over for the nut. Well, some people live their life like, I, I, I got to get more money. I got to get more money. I got to store it up. I got to store it up. And whether it's storing for retirement, they're driven by this thing and it's not healthy. And there won't be peace in it because they're driven by it. And I'm not talking about um, being diligent and having great ideas and executing and not being lazy and, and, and making good money. Hallelujah for that. I'm talking about laboring and spinning. This is talking about spinning. And, and, and he's talking about spinning out. You think of a squirrel chasing after a nut. There are full-grown adults who live their life that way. And there can't be peace because they're living under that worry or that fear of a God. I got to find more somehow. I got to somehow. And living under that load, Jesus would walk right into that situation and say, Shalom, peace be with you. I don't give peace the way the world gives it, but I give you a peace that transcends all this stuff. And so these are the worries that creep up and I believe push the peace out of our life. Worrying about provision in this case, God knows what we need before we ask it. We shouldn't live in worry for that. You got to realize that if you are a son or daughter of God through the provision of Jesus Christ, then guess what? Your problems just became his problems because he's your father. And I'll tell you one thing as a father of five kids, my kids' problems are my problems. I own them. There's little things that work, they, they're big problems, they're my problems. Why? Because I'm a loving father and I care about my kids and if they have a problem, it's my problem. Well, guess what? If you have lacks and you have needs in your life, you got a loving father that sees it before you even ask for it. He knows about it. You got to rest in that. You got to know. You got to trust in that. But if not, we run around labor and spinning and storing up and worried about all these things, and there won't be a manifestation of the Prince of Peace in our lives. Um, it even says not only will it not add a day to our lives. As Jesus said, it won't even add an hour. Worrying will not even add an hour to our lives. Um, It's actually really harmful. Um, A doctor from uh, John Hopkins University said, we do not know why it is that worriers, worriers die sooner than non-worriers, but we do know this to be a fact. It's a medical fact that people who worry die sooner. So not only does it not add the things you're worrying about, It actually takes away from, and it's counterintuitive. That's why Proverbs 14.30 says, a heart of peace gives life to the body. A heart of peace gives life to the body. That it is healthy to walk in peace. And not only is it God's provision, but he wants to bless us with a longer life if we walk in peace instead of being stressed out or worrying. These are some of the amazing ways that peace is robbed from us. And uh, this next section, I want to just briefly talk about how you and I maintain the peace. As peacekeepers, how do you and I maintain that level? Where, how do we stay in that zone? What do we do intentionally? Is there things on our part that we can do to stay in that right zone of God's peace in our life where worry is not ruling us? 
Well, Jesus concludes his very passage in, in Matthew. And in picking up in verse 33, he says this. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is talking about our worry about God's provision. And many people have worry about God's provision. God, will you provide in this area of my health? I don't know, God. I'm worried. Will you? God, will you provide in the area of my finances? I don't know, God. God, will you, will you provide in the area of my relationship? I know in theory we believe that, but in heart actuality and what we walk out, do we really believe it? Oftentimes, no, and a worry comes in and sets in, and we start taking the problems on ourselves And Jesus is speaking to the situation, saying, let your heart not be troubled. No, 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 don't walk in this worry. He's saying that if you seek first God and his kingdom, all this other stuff is going to be added to you. Why? Because you're a beloved. We are the beloved of God, the Bible says. We're his bride. We're the beloved. We're the blood-bought sons and daughters of the Most High God. He knows these things. And the scripture is saying this. Not just the acknowledgement that he's God and we're not, but the acknowledgement that if we seek him first, if we seek God first and we put his kingdom first, that is the qualifier that all these other things will be added to you. All the things you're worried about, God's got you covered. The the things we're concerned, the worries, the doubts, the clouds that come over, the things that uh, squeeze out all the peace in our life, This is saying God's got you covered. And so if you're a note taker, the second point this morning is put God first and he will provide everything you need. He will, he will, he will. Not he may or I hopefully think he, God will. If you put God first in his kingdom, he will provide what you need. But I want to encourage it has to be all areas. Don't get very uh, um, selective about this. You know, some people, uh, you know, have a sense in singleness that, you know, I, I think I'm going to be married. And, and we've seen this, Christy and I, years ago, and we were at a church, there was a lot of single people, and, and, and a lot of people going, you know, what's going on with my future? When am I going to get married? God, you're not doing anything. Uh, I'm waiting. And they're worried. They don't have peace. The cloud of worry has come over them. And then they start taking it into their control. Instead of seeking first God in his kingdom... They're finally like, God's running late. He must have missed me somehow. He overlooked me, so I got to handle my business. And then they start trying some way to put things together and try to force and contrive and make things happen. Let me tell you, this principle applies to every area of life. Seek first God and his kingdom, and he will give you the desires of your heart. In fact, I met my bride seeking God first. We were both serving God on the day that we met. And I've seen God do that again and again and again. Dan and Lily, our youth pastors, they met in the mission field seeking God first. God does amazing things. When we are yielded to God and we're seeking him first, he has such an easy time merging lives together. It's like he like smiles at it. He goes, this is great. You know, it's just that when we're controlling it and we're trying to work it out and make it happen, that's not God's design. Seek God first and he will give you the desires of your heart. Uh, This goes on into other areas, not just relationships, but your pursuits in life. Whatever your ambitions, your pursuits are, if God is first and God is in it, God will bless it. But if God isn't first, 
If our own agenda or, or, or thing is going on and God is back here somewhere, God isn't necessarily going to bless it. And so because of that, we've got to seek him first and then he gives us the desires of our heart. I believe that to be a biblical promise that Jesus is stating here, that until you start walking in it, you don't really realize how profound it is. And then you need to be reminded because from time to time, we hear this, but then we forget. And then we start to worry again. And then we, 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 we have things in our life that we've given to God, but we go back and grab it again and pick it up again. Amen? In that one? Okay, that's a, this too. This applies to all of us. So, oops, I already gave that to God, but here I am picking it up again. <laughs> strength, will wa- ru- strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. That we have to wait, we have to trust, but seek Him first. And in the fullness of time, He will give you the desires of your heart. This is also true not just in relationships, in our pursuits, but I will tell you this, family, it's true in finances. The Bible promises this, that if you seek God first and his kingdom first, he provides, he gives everything you need. I found that to be true 25 years ago. I began putting God first in this area of finances in, in my life, and Christy was doing the same. We do this as a couple. God is first financially, first fruits, tithes. We don't even think about it. It belongs to him He supplies all of your needs according to his glorious riches. That's what Paul told the Philippians. God will, he he told the Philippian church specifically, because you guys showed the generosity putting God first and doing this thing with God, because you did Philippians, he said, for you guys, God is going to supply all of your needs according to his glorious riches. Sometimes we like that promise, but we disconnect it from what it's attached to. Does that make sense? We like the promise, but we disconnect it from what it's attached to. It's attached to putting God first. And, and, and even in the area of finances in the Philippians and their giving, and Paul's like, God sees that, and he's going to supply every one of your needs is the context. I believe it's the same here. He's talking about provision. This passage is talking about worrying about provision. And we do worry about provision. There are times when you're like, oh no, how am I going to pay this bill or what am I going to do? I'm just telling you, the theme applies to everything. Do not get categorical with God. Do not get categorical with God. Don't say Sunday's God's day, but these days are not, or, or, or this area of my life, yes, but no, these areas, this is my stuff. Don't get categorical with God. We're either his or we're not his, and I would suggest to you that this area is also part of a full kingdom mindset. And so if we put God first in these areas, um, he will give us the desires of our heart. Um, Hudson Taylor said this, um, if we really gave everything over to God, there would be nothing left for us to be troubled about. Uh, and that is true. And he's talking about the, the areas of our life. If really God is first in our life, we really wouldn't have things to worry about. But we hold on to him, we try to make it work and we're gonna try harder and we grip the real stronger and we, we just try to work it out and we worry about this stuff because we haven't, giving it over to God. You know, in the passage, Jesus said, you of little faith, the ones who are worrying. He, he said that they have little faith. Jesus equates lack of faith with worry in this passage. He also equates putting God first with the blessing, the provision, and the promise. And it's just something to note, I think, in this, in this passage. Um, the last section I want to look at really briefly, if you could turn there, is Philippians chapter 4. Um, this is an amazing passage on summarizing how you and I can be peacekeepers. Um, by the way, sometimes in your life, if, since we follow the Prince of Peace, 
Um, Jesus also said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God, daughters of God, children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. One component of our life, he's saying, since we follow the Prince of Peace, is for you and I to walk into a situation and when we observe, when we observe lack of peace, when we ob- observe a, a disunity, when we observe a undercurrent, contention, strife, for us to actually go in and speak to the storm. Now this is a challenge for some of you, maybe in the workplace, maybe in your family, your home, wherever it is. If there's things bubbling up, contention, strife, if there's things, worry, anxiety bubbling up, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers to walk into the middle, middle of it and speak peace to that storm. Blessed are you if you're a peacemaker. Some people will go, well, that's their storm. I'm not saying anything. Or it's between these two people. I'm not saying anything. Jesus said, no, you're blessed if you walk into the storm and say, peace, peace. Now, you're going to do that in your own creative words as the Spirit leads you to do. But as a son and daughter of the Most High God, as children of God who follow the Prince of Peace, He's the way, the truth, and the life. You and I are following the Prince of Peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons and daughters of God. It's a profound um, blessing of God that we would walk in situations knowing that He's the Prince of Peace and He wants peace in situations. And you and I get to broker the peace sometimes. We get to be a peace broker, if you will, on behalf of God. We are ambassadors, are we not? We're ambassadors for Christ. We're ambassadors for the Prince of Peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. It's a pretty radical promise. Uh, Philippians 4, 6, uh, and 7. I love this passage. Many of you are familiar with it. Um, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He's starting out talking about the anxiety, the worry, the anxiety that people have. And he's saying, don't be anxious about stuff. Anxiety will come in, it will creep in, it will start to grow, it will overcome, it will take real estate that we're not supposed to, to give it. It will start to take over space in our hearts, space in our minds, space in our life. And it's not supposed to. He's saying, be anxious for nothing. God is saying, settle your heart down over that. Don't get wound up. And anxiety is like that. It kind of feeds into a frenzy. It starts to you know, build up and build up. And, and, and God's saying, no, that's not from me. That's you taking things on and concern and worry. It's not handing it over to me. It's holding on to it. He says, don't be anxious about this stuff. It's not from me. And he gives a solution right here. He gives a solution to have that go away and for the peace of God to rise in your life. All in this passage. For anxiety to go away. And I would put worry and concern and all that with it. Anxiety to go away and the peace of God to rise in your life. Um, and he tells us how to do it. And these are um, the, the last... Um, the last points today. The third point is this. Thank God for who he is and all you have. Thank him for all he is and all you have. When you are full of anxiety, the last thing on your mind is to thank God for who he is and all you have. When you're full of anxiety, you're thinking of what you don't have and what God didn't do that he should have done, right? God, you should have done this. You're totally late. I've been asking for a year. And now I got to do it, 
right? This is, that's anxiety w- w- rising up. In a time of anxiety, this is the cure. This is the biblical cure for anxiety and worry in your life to go away and for the peace of God to rise up in your life. Here is the cure. Thank God for who he is and thank God for all you have. And I'll be honest with you, when we're in times of anxiety, we usually forget our thankfulness. We forget our gratitude. We do not have an attitude of gratitude. We have an attitude of complaining because we're frustrated that we don't have what we need or we think we want. Thanking God for who he is and starting out with thanksgiving. The Bible, this is important and you might want to make note of this for your own prayer life and for your own worship life. But the Bible says that we enter into his courts with thanksgiving and praise. We come into God's courts, into his presence with thanksgiving and praise. If you have children um, and they come into your room screaming and making a bunch of demands, you're not quick to do anything. You're like, slow down, settle down. We'll talk in a minute. You get your heart right. You don't come in here screaming and yelling and, and making demands. But when a child comes in with a humble heart, and says, wow, dad, thank you so much for being a great dad and by the way, Dad, <laughs> yes, <laughs> what is it? It's a whole different disposition and demeanor. The Bible says we enter into God's courts with thanksgiving and praise. He is worthy, he is good, and he's good all the time, but we don't act like it sometimes. We say, God, I need this. God, give me that. Oh, God, you're late on that. Instead of going, huh, God, you are good. You are so good, God. You are abundant in love and over, over, abounding in love, God, in mercy and in grace and in my life. Thank you, God, for who you are. You are the Holy One, the King of, you're the first and the last. Thank you for being the King of the universe and thank you for being my Lord. And God, thank you for the stuff that you've blessed me with. Let me stop for a minute before I complain and say thank you, God, for my health, my family, for provision, for a roof over our head, for a meal on the table, for a heater that works, for a car that drives, for gas to put in it. Thank you. Why am I off complaining about that? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Be sincere with God. Start with thanks. A lot of people skip it and they're still full of anxiety. And this is a cure for removing anxiety and replacing it with God's peace. The third point today is thank God for who he is and all you have. The fourth point is Ask them for what you need. Ask them for what you need. I talk to people sometimes and they're like, well, yeah, you know, I pray for others, but I don't know if I'm supposed to. They really wonder, like, do I have permission to ask God? Really, permission. The word of God gives you permission to ask God. Some people think, well, isn't it like selfish or isn't it like greedy? If I'm No, it's not greedy. Ask God for your needs or what you perceive your needs to be. Now, he knows your needs. And from his vantage point, he knows what a need is and what a want is. And he will provide your needs and he may provide the wants too. That's up to God. But if you sense that it's a need in your life, the fourth point is ask God for what you need. If you really think you're lacking in an area, come into his presence with thanksgiving and praise. Give him thanks and praise. And from that standpoint, sincerely ask him what you need. This is what the prescription of scripture is telling us and then the fifth point is to allow allow his peace to surpass your understanding now this is important his peace does surpass understanding that that's a spiritual fact of life god's peace 
can give you a peace in a situation that people look around you. It could be anything, a storm in life, and somebody's house can be burning down and going, well, God's on the throne. And other people looking at you, are you kidding me? You're like, yeah, God's got it covered. He must have another one for me, probably a better one. And people are like, how can you even think that way? Because the peace of God does surpass our understanding. It does, if, if we let it. If we let it. Because you have to allow the peace of God to surpass your understanding. Some of your translations in your Bible, it says, um, surpasses all comprehension. The peace of God surpasses comprehension. The peace of God surpasses our understanding. And this is important. This is saying that we are very limited what we can get our head around, what we can get our mind around a situation, what we can grasp, what we can comprehend, what we can, we can fully embrace and go, oh, I understand what's going on here. And believe me, there's a lot more in this universe that we don't know about than we do know about. So when we go through life and we're trying to get our head around something and comprehend the, the issue, the problem, the struggle, the concern, the worry, we're trying to get our head wrapped around it. A lot of times we can't, but we try to. And this is saying, if we do this, the peace of God surpasses our understanding, but we have to let his peace surpass our understanding, which simply means we have to say, God, I know what I see. I know what I see. And I know what I feel. But you're on the throne, God. And I'm going to take this worry and I'm going to put it before you. And I'm going to allow your peace to surpass my understanding. You have to let that happen. Because if not, you're going to say, I I said the prayer and I still can't figure this out. (laughs) I'm still mad about this situation. I've still got anxiety. Because we didn't let the peace of God surpass our understanding. You have to allow the peace of God to surpass understanding. And you do this by faith. Remember it said earlier, the ones who were worriers were those of little faith, right? It takes faith to allow God's peace to pass your understanding. Because without faith, you're still going to hold on to it and try to handle it in the natural. And there's There's no peace in that. There's no peace in that. Our minds cannot figure out God's capacities. God's capacities are so far beyond our mind. Our ways are not his ways. His ways are not mine. His ways are as far above ours as the heavens are above the earth. It says in Isaiah 55, how in the world can we get our head around what's going around, what's going on sometimes? How do we get our our mind wrapped around it? How do we comprehend? We can't. And the sooner... The sooner we come to terms with that, the better. God's your loving Father. You're His beloved. He's got you covered. And this is telling us to allow His peace to surpass our understanding. It will. He wants to. He's the Prince of Peace, but we have to allow it. And just in closing, and this would be great if the worship team comes up, um, says in Isaiah 26.3, He will keep in perfect peace those whose minds... Minds, minds are stayed on him. Why? Because the mind is really quick to go, I can't figure it out. I don't know what God's doing, but I got to handle this somehow. The mind is so quick to do that. And scripture is promising the peace again. He will keep in perfect peace. He or she whose minds is stayed on him. So we have to allow his peace to surpass our understanding. We got to keep our mind on him, even though we can't figure stuff out. We got to keeping on that. And that's even when Peter was in the boat and he started walking on water and sinking. We all know the narrative of that story that as long as he had his eyes on Jesus, he walked. 
And as soon as his eyes were off of Jesus, he sank. And it's the same with the level of worry and anxiety in our lives. If our eyes are on him, he will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are stayed on him. But you take your mind off him, start staring at the problem and exempting God from it and trying to figure it out. We too, like Peter, will do the same thing. So it's really, really important. And the last scripture is simply this, and I think Jesus summarized it beautifully. John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that in me you might have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Jesus is like, I care about your peace. Jesus cares about your peace. I hope you know that this morning. He cares about your peace. It is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is not a fruit of yourself. It is not a natural fruit of humanity. It is a spiritual fruit of the Holy Spirit and God desires your life and you can't create it and you can't fabricate it, nor can I. But we can keep our mind on him. We can trust in him and we can apply some of these things where God's peace will surpass our understanding. And my prayer for us is that we would be a people of peace. We would be a people of peace. We would be people where God's peace rules in our heart in a way that is evident to all. That we would be peacekeepers that we would be peacemakers and that we would walk in the peace of God and that we would continue to share that peace. Because when you look around this world, we have more in America than anybody's ever had in any civilization on the history of this planet and there's not more peace. So stuff isn't the answer. The Prince of Peace is the answer, family. The Prince of Peace is the answer. And if you follow the Prince of Peace, then let us be ambassadors for the Prince of Peace and let us keep the peace, let us share the peace, Let us be brokers of the peace. And um, I trust that God wants to do that in a whole new way. Let's close out in prayer right now and ask God to seal some of these things in our heart. Mighty God, we we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of it, Lord. I I pray for this area, Lord. I pray uh, for any uh, in this room, Lord, that struggle. Uh, We all struggle in some ways of fear and anxiety and worries, God. But Lord, I I trust you wanted this stated today because... um, there are some that have been like a, like a wave coming over and taking on too much water. Um, Lord, there's some that have been a little bit burdened by this worry and anxiety in a way that's not healthy for them or those around them. And it's a, it, it's a, it doesn't add to life. And you would say, follow me as the Prince of Peace. So Lord, we do follow you as the Christ, as the Savior, as the King. But Lord, I pray today we would make an intentional step to follow you as the Prince of Peace. And I pray that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, would rule in our hearts, God. That is our prayer today, that we would represent you, God, walking in peace. We would be peacemakers, peacekeepers, peace brokers, because peace is a fruit of your spirit and it should be front and center in our lives. We love you, God. And I just pray you would seal these things in our heart. We ask these things in Jesus' name and all God's people say. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit valleymetrochurch.com.